we really just feel so grateful every day for, you know, everyone that's sort of touching our business in whatever way they are, you know, whether they're buying stuff or working for us or selling us ingredients, you know, it's, it's really incredible to create the sort of community around us. Number 161. What's going on, ladies? Welcome to the Biz Women Rock podcast. I'm your host, Katie Kremitzos, and I am bringing you tremendous stories from business women all over the world in all sorts of different industries so they can talk about their business journey so yours can be inspired by it. Before we get rolling, here's a little word from our awesome sponsor. All right, I am here with the fabulous Niall Nickel, the founder of LinkedIn Focus, whom I love for creating a program that truly brings results for the users uh, who are using LinkedIn and leveraging it appropriately. And I'm not talking about the 8,000 things that you are constantly fed that you could do, but some really focused uh, strategies that actually get results. So Niall, share a little secret with us. What is one thing that we as businesswomen can do to tweak our uh, our LinkedIn profiles to be able to utilize it to actually produce results? You know, one of the things that I'd like to do, if you don't mind, is I'd like to give you two tips because of your introduction there. <laughs> um, Go for it. Well, you know, one of the things that most people don't know about LinkedIn is is we've got the perception that it's sort of a resume site and and it's where we go to find a job or get, you know, be found for, for a new job, if you will. Um, and clearly, that's what it's developed for. The interesting thing is, is when you look at what they do for uh, finding jobs for recruiters and things like that, that accounts for about 80% of LinkedIn's total revenue. Wow. Now, you know that old 80-20 rule. Mm-hmm. So most people have free accounts. 80% of LinkedIn's revenue comes from sort of the, what they call talent solutions area, talent solutions and marketing solutions, which means you're the product on LinkedIn. So when you find a lot of information out there, you find a lot of information that's focused on getting jobs. And the reason for that is, is you're the product. That's what most people pay for. Just know that LinkedIn has lots of other great value. I think the greatest value that LinkedIn has, which is one of my tips, is um, being uh, using it for the SEO value. And when you use it for the SEO value, you've got to make sure your keywords are included. Most people don't know how to find that. That goes beyond uh, this quick tip. But you need to make sure you find your keywords and use your keywords all over LinkedIn. But when you're doing that, make sure, this is the big tip, make sure you avoid buzzwords. LinkedIn publishes every year the most common buzzwords, the top 10. And as a matter of fact, I have the top 10. Uh, but you know what? I have found I do my own research because I disagree with their top 10. <laughs> uh, and it's real easy to do this as you go on and you do searches for various words, buzzwords that have tracked over the years. And I find that my top 10 is more accurate than theirs. So uh, if people want to get that top 10, I'm going to put that up on the website. It's called Niles Buzzword List. And uh, it will give you not only what LinkedIn's buzzwords are, but what mine are. And I think mine are a little bit more important. So I trust LinkedIn, but I also verify. 
Nice. I love that. So to get Niall's buzzwords as well as a whole slew of awesome tips that are going to really produce results for you, go to linkedinfocus.com forward slash BWR. My guest today is Samantha Abrams, and she is the co-founder of Emmy's Organics. Uh, Emmy's Organics is a whole line of products that are like uh, just delicious, vegan, raw, um, all natural ingredients, and um, and these their kind of main uh, initial product was and is the macaroon. And but they have like macaroons, they have all sorts of different sweets, uh, they have like cereals, and uh, all very you know uh, healthy focused. And the reason this interview is very interesting is because Samantha really goes behind uh, the scenes with us to to show us what it really takes to bring a product that you have created with your own little hands because you're so passionate about it and you've been hustling it out there at the local markets and stuff like that and how to uh, evolve that product into a business that now has a whole production facility, is, um, you know, in tons and tons of independent Uh, health food stores all around the nation and in Whole Foods. So um, she's very generous with her information about how she's built her business up until this point and the vision that she has moving forward. So let's get the interview started with Samantha. Samantha, what's going on, girl? Thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. You're in cold, cold Ithaca, New York right now. Yep. You should see how many Oh, man. Well, I'm so excited to have you on the show. I am absolutely in love with your products. I'm in love with what you stand for. And I'm really, you're you're such a great example of like, you know, somebody's just really loves doing, loves food. They have a passion and then they create something and then it, it really, really grows. So I'm really excited to tell that story today. Um, Thank you. Can you. Can you give us a little bit of a background as to how Emmy's Organics really started? What's that birth story? Um, that's the birth story. Um, so, well, Emmys was founded by myself and my, uh, partner, my life and business partner, Ian Gaffney. Um, we, let's see, we met and started dating and something that we would do often was sort of play around in the kitchen because Ian has a, a lot more background professionally in the sort of raw vegan food world. And at that time I was like really into it and trying to kind of self teach myself a lot. So we would make things at home um, a lot. So um, he one day taught me how to make this macaroon recipe that he had developed while working at another at a restaurant in New York. And, you know, we just made them and they were really simple to make and there was nothing like that available at the time. And we just thought, wow, these would be so cute in a package. And what if we like slapped a label on there and what if we sold them locally in our in Ithaca, where we are, and maybe even at the farmer's market? And that was sort of like where it all started. It was not like, let's start a business and get huge or anything like right, that. We right. just really wanted to share these recipes that, you know, he had taught me and we had made other flavors, you know. And so we really just wanted to share this kind of healthy, simple food with with our community. And that's really how it got started. Well, it took, obviously, because, you know, you went from being able to sell into the local market. What kind of response did you have there right away? 
It was awesome. You know, like, I mean, this community is really amazing in that, like, people really support local businesses. But in general, we, we got a lot of traction really early and really great feedback. So that's really what kept us going in the beginning. So especially in the beginning, once you realize, okay, we got something here because people actually are really, really liking it, they're buying it. Um, what, what was really your marketing strategy to get it out there more? Like what, um, were you, you know, trying to get in other stores? Were you trying to make contracts with, you know, corporate or anything like that? Like what were some of your strategies? Um, you know, it's so funny because I wouldn't even call it a strategy. We really didn't (laughs) have any kind of plan or any kind of knowledge because, you know, neither of us had started a business before, um, you know, I went to school for theater management, so I definitely had a sense for, like, making things happen, but not at all, you know, in the full-on business realm. So what we did was we were like, well, let's just find more places to buy these, <laughs> you know. just So so I guess if we were to call it a strategy, it was just grow our sales in any way that we could. Um, so, you know, we, we touched as many places as we could locally. Um, we took a trip up to Syracuse. You know, we took a trip to Binghamton, um, and eventually we took a trip to New York City. And because Ian had lived there um, for many years before coming back home to Ithaca, he kind of knew a lot of the great health food, independent health food stores that people shop in. So we were really lucky. You know, now when I know about how products are sold in stores, it's we literally walked in with no appointment, with a little sample bag, with a very basic price sheet and just walked in and tried and asked for the buyers. And in a lot of places we actually could speak to them. Wow. A lot, some places we couldn't. And so that's how we got our very first sales in New York city. And that, um, really became, you know, I mean, even still like New York city is sort of like the strongest market that we're a part of. And it's was, it, it's amazing that well, it happened. Now. <laughs> shed, some, shed some light on how that whole process actually works. Like, when you're when you're going in, you have your product, you have sample, you're talking to a buyer. Do they immediately buy, especially on the first round? I would imagine that they buy pretty conservatively. So they let's say they how how many units do they buy? How, do they yeah. pay you for that right away, or do they wait to to see how it goes on the shelves in order to pay the invoice, or how does it work? Well, at least in the food world, um, you usually offer like a case price, you know, so. We did figure that out, I think, because we had just started looking at other products in the store. So we were like, oh, we should have 12 macaroon packages in one case. You know, so we had our case prices. So um, at that point, we had no, like, minimum, you know, we're just, like, anything. Um, So oftentimes, uh, they wouldn't order right away. They were like, cool, let me try these, you know, and then we would have to do some follow-up. There were other stores. It depends on the size of the store. If it's a big store, like a high-volume store, Maybe they're a little more willing to take a risk, you know, and order right off the bat, maybe order a little more. Um, but it's sort of hard to tell depending on the store. But usually they're not going to just say, sure, I'll take them. You know, you have to kind of let them try it, maybe show it to other people, and then call them back. That's if you're selling direct to the store. Gotcha. Um, and that's how you so, guys started out. that's what out. we did for many years. Yeah. Got it. Um, how, how do the fulfillment logistics work? Like, okay, so let's pretend, um, give me a name of, you know, one of the small independent stores that you're in, in New York. Um, uh, Paralandra in uh, Brooklyn. Okay. So let's say you're in Paralandra and let's say that's the one that you went into and said, you know, finally, 
they tried it. They loved it. They did a sample with it. It was selling. And now you've got, um, you know, you're kind of a regular on their shelf. Do they literally just, I, this is such an ignorant question, but just so I'm clear on kind of how the process works. Do they literally say, hey, we're out, we're going to need another case, and then you ship everything to them? Or like, are you going down there and, and um, handing it over to them? Or are they right. like, are they sort of like pre or, um, you know, like, like asking you for more of it before they ever run out? Like, what are those specifics? Um, that's what you would really hope for. Um, but especially I'm thinking we're also talking about like this is the startup mode when we were that's what you're talking about. Right, then, right, right. right. So it's different now. Yeah. Um, we'll get but, into the now a little later. Yes, yeah, okay, that's just making sure. Um but you know, that's you hope that there's people in the stores that are looking out for you, but there's so many products in these stores that it's really hard to ask of that of a buyer, um, or even someone in grocery. So if it's something that's selling really, really well, um, you know, it's it's likely that they'll place a reorder maybe before they run out. Um, but a lot of times if you're smaller and, you know, you, you know, you have sales, but you're not like, I don't know, maybe they won't notice if, you know, you, they sell out right away. So what we would try to do is call the stores. So, you know, there was a point when Ian and I were uh, making our product in a relative's basement, um, and we were also doing all of our sales, you know, all the packaging, all the shipping, everything. So um, we would ship, you know, we, we would deliver locally, but we would ship a product to New York. Um, and we would just try to run down our list of stores and call and say, how's your stock doing? You want to just check on it? You know, do you need to place an order? Um, you know, and, and you're lucky if you can make that happen. And, and we were, but not with everybody. It's really, it is very tricky to kind of, look out for yourself as a brand in a store because there's right. so much so many other brands yeah so much competition everyone really wanting that sh- same shelf space everyone really wanting to make yeah. sure that they're getting ordered um yeah. one, of the, one of the things i uh i'm also curious to know about is what what did you have to do to make sure that all of your um all of your products were like official and certified and could carry the nutrition label on the back because you had to make sure like your kitchen was certified and because it's like raw food vegan, you had had to have like a whole nother certification. Is that right? Um, There actually isn't a separate one for raw vegan, um, but we did have to get, we always have to get our spaces certified. In the beginning, we were able to get a home processor's license because we did start in Ian's mom's kitchen Mm -hmm. and her Nickname is Emmy. That's why I were called uh-huh. Emmy. I was going to um, ask that question. <laughs> uh-huh. Yep. I thought way that go. was something. <laughs> way to go, Emmy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks. Um, so, yes, we had a home processor's license in the beginning, and then now we have uh, a different one. I forget what it's called right now. Um, but it's actually, it's it's very interesting. So you get your space certified so that you can produce food that's sold in stores, um, and that's a different license that you get than, say, if you are a restaurant serving food to the public. And it's actually funny, we're not legally required right now to even have a nutrition panel on our products. Um, I think it's when you're selling a certain number of level of units. It's really when it's quite big. But we've always been really strong about uh, um, honest labeling. You know, so like that's important to me. I like looking at nutrition packs. So we had those done early on. But as far as requirements, in the very beginning, I think it was like, listing your ingredients, having a a phone number and a, you know, company contact information and maybe a best by date. I I think it's, it's pretty simple when you're small, you know, and then as you grow, there's more and more that you have to kind of follow. So 
Um, yeah, and we, we now, our, all of our products are certified gluten-free, so there's a product, process we go through for that. There's certified kosher. There's a process we go through for that. Um, there's certified non-GMO. There's a process we go for that wow. um, that we do. So it's a combo of people coming to uh, look at our facility and then lots and lots of paperwork basically documenting <laughs> all the ingredients that we're sourcing and um, getting their certifications and filing them for hours. You know, it's very... Um, it's, it's a lot of paperwork and, uh, some in person too. Right. Man, that's a lot. Um, so it's, at, at some point you're, you kind of tip the scales as far as, you know, being able to keep up with demand with just the two of you making this out of Emmy's kitchen. So, um, right. what was that point and how did you make a move? Cause, and I'm asking this because every single entrepreneur knows that feeling of, we can't handle anymore, but we want to for yeah. growth. So how did you deal yeah. with that? What was that moment and how did you deal with that? Mm-hmm. We we have those moments, I think, every single day. <laughs> <laughs> like even still, I don't think that those moments of like, oh God, we need to be able to make more and like we don't know how or like we want to be able to take on these customers and we don't know how. Like that happens every single day. I had an employee who um, decided to stop working here yesterday and, and even though he had given us two weeks, just decided to not commit anymore so you know like you gotta roll with the punches and uh figure stuff out um so yes it happens to us all but um in those days i think that um you know we were in a home kitchen then we moved to a family member's basement um and you know quickly grew out of that space and you know at a point there was a friend who was like hey i can come help you guys package macaroons um so i think that was like our first kind of unofficial employee um and I think we at that in the basement space maybe got to two employees, maybe three. Um, and we just realized that we couldn't be working out of a basement. We were building pallets um, up in, in the driveway, but we were carrying our cases up and down the stairs, and it was just like too it was too exhausting. Right, <laughs> it was like no we need kidding. to be on the ground level. So um, you know, we were we found a lease. You know, at a, it was a hospital billing office here downtown in Ithaca, and we decided to do all the renovations ourselves and just create our own space. And it was a big commitment because we had an official lease. You know, we were paying rent to a, our family member, but we didn't have, like, a legal document that was like, here's our lease and here are the things we're responsible for. Right. So that was definitely a big step because we were, you know, like, okay, this is it. We're doing it. And... uh uh, around the same time as that new space, we also took a loan out from our local credit union to purchase our first piece of production machinery. And because we were hand scooping all of our macarons with ice cream scoops, and um, Ian is quite competitive, and he was like, he's like really into being productive, you know. And so he literally gave, gave himself carpal tunnel <laughs> because he was like trying to scoop too many macaroons That's at one hilarious. time. <laughs> yeah, I was not as fast as him. He could do um, eight hundred in an hour or something. Oh that was, like, my gosh! Record. Yeah, wow. he's insane. He's still insane. <laughs> Holy! How many? Can, how many can the machine do in comparison? Oh, oh gosh! I wish I knew what it could do. I would say it's like, it's crazy. It's like 15,000 or I don't know, maybe 10,000 in an hour. I don't even know. It's a lot. Gotcha. I wish I had better numbers to share with you, but I can't (laughs) think of them right now. 
I was just but wondering if it's, it's, is it like 1200 Because dang, he was really good if that's the case. But 15000 yeah, you're not going to compete with that. <laughs> no, no, it's it's not it's not a number that Ian could compete with. Um, but it also is like, save, we were like, we can't have employees doing this to themselves. Like, right. it's just not right. <laughs> you right. know, it's just like, if Ian's hurting himself trying to make this product, it's just not, you know, it wasn't going to be a sustainable product. So, um, you know, that's, we, we, that was when we took out our first loan to buy a piece of equipment that, that we still use. It's, you know, been an incredible to have it. And, uh, now we have many other pieces of equipment, but, um, it's amazing how like those changes make a huge impact. Huge. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you, just kept continuing to grow. I mean, and you still are. You you keep on continuing to grow. I would imagine you have a lot of attention on sales or getting in the door somewhere. Or how? What is your sales process like? How do you map out who? Yeah. What accounts you want? How you get them? And how you're keeping up with them? How you're getting reorders from them? What's your process for that? You that you guys have developed over these years? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's funny, like the more that we grow, it becomes more and more challenging to really have a hold on all of it. Um, especially because right now, um, you know, we have eight employees and they're all production staff. And then Ian and I are doing everything else. Wow. Um, we do have a network of brokers, um, who they rep other brands as well, but they're, um, sort of the connection to us between the distributors and the larger chain stores and even some smaller ones as well. So that is a huge help to have people just like on in the stores and like talking about us, you know, when we're not always there. Um, But uh, let's see, it it is, it's very challenging. Now we have a board, our, our office is covered in whiteboard walls. So we (laughs) write on our walls and we have a a dream list of retailers that we'd really like to have our product in. Um, But for now, um, you know, we have Whole Foods. We're not in every region. Um, so we have, we want to keep getting into more regions and hopefully, like, get to be a national brand with them. Um, how so, did you, you end know, up getting those how, kinds of goals? How did you end up getting that account? Was that through one of the, the reps? No. Um, we got into the mid Atlantic region of Whole Foods originally because we had a friend who was um, a whole body buyer there. So she was in charge of you know, one stores, the like cosmetics, you know, and lotions and stuff. So she kind of walked us through, um, submitting your product, uh, through one region, but it wasn't in such a way where we would get into every single store. There's different ways that you can go about it. So we literally were sending samples to the regional buyer. She approved us, um, but didn't slot us and slotting is when you're basically there's a spot on the shelf for your product in every single store, but Mm. we didn't even know what that was at the time. So, um, we got in. And so basically once you get in, that means that in that region, you're approved to sell in any of those stores. Um, so we called, we got on the phone, we were like, we're going to send you samples. And so we got, you know, a lot of sales that way, just kind of going store by store. Um, and that, that was great. And now now that we're larger, um, we try to go on that regional level, but where we get our product slotted. That's, that's what we always hope for. Got it. Who else is on your dream list? Um, well, actually, yesterday I wrote down the Google campus. Nice. That would be great. <laughs> yeah, there's some, like, juice bar chains that we'd really love to be a part of. Like, even Jamba Juice, like, even though, like, 
I don't know. I think that like our customer is definitely there. Um, there's a plenty of huge chains that we're not, we would love to be in the fresh market. Um, really want to get into the Florida region, the Whole Foods. That would be awesome. Yeah. Um, I'll work on it for you here, girl. <laughs> yeah, please. Just request us. That actually does make a huge impact. When really? Customers go, yeah, it's actually better than me calling and saying, hey, here's my product. If there are customers that are going in and requesting to the buyers that they get a certain product in, it's sort of like saying that there's built-in sales for them, right. you know? So it's like, oh, if I get this product in, there's people who are going to buy it. Hmm. Um, and that can be more powerful sometimes. Hmm. So, so yeah. at this point, so as far as your sales process goes right now, even though it's sort of con- it's constant for any business, I mean, it's constantly moving and morphing and evolving. You really yeah. keep focused on some of the big whales, let's say, like who you want to go after, how you're going to build those relationships, and direct the the reps that are out there, and just say, hey, you know, just keep this top of mind. We want to get into this store. Do you have any relationship there? Is that right? Yeah, I mean, yes. I mean, we also do, we pay a lot of attention to the independent stores that we're in also. Um, we see, you know, like the big chains, it's a really great way for us to keep growing our business. But, um, you know, it's managing it. It's like getting into the store is a huge hurdle, but then just like maintaining your business is a whole other challenge. And so for us too, we schedule a lot of demos in stores. You know, we offer promos. So like our product goes on sale in the stores. Mm-hmm. Um, those mm-hmm. are some of the things that we can do to kind of keep our customers buying our product um, or having new people try it. Um, but it, it is. And, and the, you know, the bigger we are with not many people doing sales work, it definitely can be challenging because we really want to pay attention to all of our accounts, but it's hard and we really do spread ourselves thin at the moment. What kind of um, what kind of marketing are you guys really focused on? Because doing this, sales is very different than the marketing. Like, are you doing anything to build um, like Emmy's brand loyalty or people who are like, you know, that they're always going to go in and buy your product. Um, what kind of stuff are you doing to make sure that your brand is is getting out there? Yeah, I think, oh, well, I do see in-store demos fall under in that category because um, we do train all of the reps so that they really get a sense of who we are as a company mm-hmm. and about our products. So they're and they're, you know, talking to customers. So um, I definitely see that in the marketing category. Um, I do all of our social media and we have a really loyal amazing fan base and so um i do feel like that helps us a lot with just kind of communicating you know why our products are so awesome and and why as a company we're doing awesome things so um i see that as a really strong tool and then just on another level we do a lot of trade shows so that's um not necessarily to the consumer the direct consumer but you know for buyers and even people in the press you know they get to see us in person and you know we get to communicate our story that way um but that's really it for now we don't spend a lot of money um we're we're very frugal (laughs) so we um you know we really have to kind of select carefully where we're going to put dollars in the marketing world what would you say is one of the biggest challenges that you're having right now in sort of the 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 growth area of your business Actually, grow, I mean, grow, it doesn't have to be in the growth area. Just anything that you're experiencing in your business, what's one of the biggest challenges that you're having? Um, let's, oh, sorry, I had a technical error there for a minute. Um, I, there's so many, wow. <laughs> I think something that's difficult for us is um, making really clear, very long-term goals. We have a lot of things that we know we want to achieve, and, and that's, that helps direct us, but 
when we're looking at like, wow, like how much can we actually produce in the building that we're at? And at what point would we need to get a larger space or even outsource some of our manufacturing or what would that look like? You know, that's challenging, especially because we haven't done this before. I think a lot of people in our industry have worked in other food manufacturing companies and so they really have a sense of what it looks like at certain sizes. Mm -hmm. Um, So we have to just sort of like ask a lot of questions and like hope we're making good decisions, which, you know, (laughs) we we, that's probably gets a lot of being a business owner. Um, But I think also, you know, we really are paying attention to how to maintain the sales that we have in certain places and, you know, what can we do to um, keep that loyalty there. Not that we have had any issues. We've been really so blessed to have amazing customers and fans. Um, But, you know, in the long run, you know, those are things you really need to pay attention to. So, um, yeah, we're thinking about that all the time. Um, I notice. I mean, you have all of your products on your website as well. Um, at emmysorganics.com. Yeah. What what percentage of sales do you get online and how much attention are you doing to drive sales online versus your wholesale business? Um, well, we, we always, we've always seen ourselves as predominantly a wholesale company because um, that's really, you know, where our sales are. Um, I think that our website makes up like 5 to 10% of our sales. It's not a lot. Um, and that's something we haven't put a lot of attention onto but um, we really noticed that last year, um, and also because the internet internet sales have become very competitive. Also, um, we've definitely noticed like kind of a a slow decline in natural sales on our website um, because you know there's so many people that are doing advertising and search engine optimization and stuff. So we're um, in the process of launching a new website um, because well, I wanted to anyway just for the look of it. We needed a little facelift anyway, um, but we're going to be doing just a little bit more search engine optimi- optimization because we've never done that before. And the natural sales that we get on our website is kind of amazing um, that we that we have well, that we have what we have. So I'm interested to see what that will do. Um, I'm not looking to turn us into an online retailer, um, but I am interested to see what what that will do. And also, we do have a really awesome newsletter list. I didn't mention that in the marketing question, but we have people that sign up and I often send out, you know, coupon codes to our website or even just like an update about our company. And that's another way that I kind of communicate who we are. Very cool. Do you, I mean, I would imagine if you're, if your main driver is wholesale, like say you're going into Whole Foods or even the the mom and pop shop, they, they kind of don't want to see that you have a whole heck of a lot of online sales, right? Because that's a competitor. That, that means that I might go onto your website versus coming into their store to get it, right? Um, yes, although on our website, we're pretty firm about not offering our products at um, like a lower price than what we suggest for retail. Gotcha. You know, we can't just call what a retailer is selling our stuff for. But like you can, there are other distributors or other people that have Amazon shops. They're selling our products um, for lower than what we have on our website. So they're oh, wow. competing with both the retailer and us. Um but that's just not something we're gonna do. We're not gonna turn into like Emmy's like discount warehouse. You right. know what I mean? <laughs> so and that's out of respect for our brand and also for our um our wholesale customers. Yep. But I'll do I do offer a, a sale here and there so you can get deals, but you still have to pay for shipping on our website or I'll have like you know, I think you have to spend like fifty dollars and you get free shipping. But got it. Um yeah, it, it, that is an interesting thing, but I'm not trying to compete with our 
our wholesale customers. Right. Um, now, you guys did something pretty unique a little while ago. You did an Indiegogo campaign um, specifically to be able to raise funds for sort of like rebranding and, and packaging some of your products. So can you talk a little bit about why you decided to do that and how it it was so successful for you? Sure. Yeah. Um, that was really an incredible experience for us. It was in 2010. So that's like five years ago. Oh my gosh. That's five years ago already. <laughs> it feels like so long. Um, but yes, uh, crowdfunding was actually sort of like new and up and coming at that time, which I really think worked for us. I didn't know it at the time. Um, but now I really see, you know, how many of my friends or like other business people are um, launching crowdfunding campaigns and many of them successful, but I just feel like it's probably a little bit more competitive yeah. um, than it was then. But um, we wanted to raise $15,000 to hire an actual packaging designer because Ian is our, our our designer here. He does graphic design and he did our original label. But we wanted someone who had experience sort of in our industry and who could really create something. So now um, Ian takes those designs that she did and puts them on our new products. But anyway, we wanted to hire a real packaging designer, have custom uh, bags printed with the new design, and um, have those shipped to us. So before that, we were labeling all of our bags by hand, and eventually we had like a local company here labeling them. Um, so that that became a hassle. So um, we wanted to do the crowdfunding because it was pretty soon after we took out that first loan to get the forming machine uh, that forms our macaroons. Mm-hmm. So it was just for a small business, you know, to try and get an, uh, more debt, get into more debt. It just, it was scary for us. You know, it was like our first business loan. Um, and also Ian's brother, he was in a band at the time and they did an Indiegogo campaign to uh, fully release one of their albums and they had a really successful time even though they were raising $5,000. Um, so it was just sort of like the idea came up and we decided to just go for it and um, it really was an incredible experience. Ian's brother helped us make, helped us make a, a video that we used on our campaign and we put some fun perks on there, you know, like donate $20 and get like a little gift box from us Um and we surpassed our goal, actually, in 30 days. We ended up raising, like, $15,326 or wow. something like that. Very cool. So, yeah, and I have plenty of tips, you know, if people, you know, want to launch their own. I literally had a call earlier today of someone who was in a, was a local farm community project here that wants to launch one, and I was giving them tips. But Well, give give us like the top three things that you learned real quick, top three things that you would recommend for anyone who wants to do that. Well, I think that um, you kind of have to be annoying sharing it. (laughs) Like Ian and I, we would share it constantly, like every single day on our personal Facebook pages and then also on our business page. We made it the homepage to our website. Like if you were going to emmysorganics.com, it was like, here's our campaign. And um, we had it like on our blog. We had it, we sent personal, I sent an email out to like all of my friends and family. And it was like, please pass this along to three to five people if you can. Like it would make such a difference. Um, And I think being clear about what your goal is for, you know, and really working out the numbers, like this is exactly how much this is going to cost. That's why I need this. And we succeed, like, you know, our sales could increase and we could really be fulfilling our goal of, you know, like providing healthy foods for the world, um, you know, like really expressing the big picture. Um, 
So I think that, yeah, sometimes you just have to be a little, I I don't like to share a lot of things on Facebook in general, like on my personal page. So I just had to kind of like give that up and make sure everyone who could see it would, you know? Yeah. Got it. Um, now I'm really interested in the fact that you work and your business partners with your life partner and spouse. Um, I am as well, my husband and I uh, own a company together and, um, although my statement about it is always like, um, it opens up a whole different realm of a world that we get to experience together. But along with that comes some really challenging parts. <laughs> so uh-huh. what what experience have you guys had running a business together? Um, what hiccups have you had? How have you flushed those out? How how does it work with you guys? Yeah. Um, well, let's see. I think people are always like, how do you do that? And I, I, I wouldn't say that maybe it's for everybody. I don't really know. Um, but we it really works well for us. Um, and I actually couldn't imagine it any other way. I think that we started a business like pretty early into our relationship. Um, so I feel like we had to tackle a lot of issues that couples tackle, but maybe even later on. So as far as just like general communication things, um, you know, cause when you're running a business, like you don't have time to like be angry at each other, you know, or like right. have like hold on to some grudge or something like that. Um, so we learned very early on about just communicating things like right when they come up. I think that that's definitely transferred over to our relationship as well um, because we don't really like get into arguments or fights or anything. Um, and I'm sure part of that has to do with our personalities as well. But um, I think that it's been really great for our relationship, honestly. Um, and I think, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's, We've, we have had things like um, early on, you know, like we were doing everything and, you know, I'm not really that good at scooping macaroons. Like I'm not really a production person. There are people and Ian is like Ian's, he loves doing repetitive work. He wants to like keep beating his time, you know, like why he got carpal tunnel. Um, but <laughs> I, and I'm not, and it was always, it was kind of hard for me to like not be as good as him, you know, in that area. And, and I would feel bad and didn't feel like I was contributing as much as him, you know, to our business. I mean, he's working harder than me. Um, so having to kind of deal with like what you're, you know, the, those kinds of things, like I'm really feeling like I'm not contributing enough. Like I'm not doing what I should be doing. Um, and kind of just bringing that on the table, you know, was really good. And, and I feel like we quickly realized, you know, what things are, are each other's strengths. And now, you know, when it comes to managing things, um, you know, we, we have different things that we're in charge of. So um, that that was really good. And it's kind of lucky that we gravitate to different stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So, I don't think uh, I don't think it can work if you guys both love the exact same thing. And that's where both of your attention yes. wants to go all the time. Yes. I was telling somebody. Yeah, it's um, it's I, interesting. I was telling somebody this morning about. Um, so uh, I don't know if you guys have these up in New York, but uh, there's a, a company out here called Painting with a Twist, right? They're franchised all over. Uh-huh. And um, you go there and you paint. And they'll give you like a template and they'll kind of teach you how to paint. So about a year or so ago, my husband and I went and they both give us like the Tampa skyline, right? And so you're both uh-huh. you're both drawing the exact same thing. And at the end of the day, we still have this up at our house. 
my my lines, my everything is like very um, exact. You know, like the the shadows are perfect. the The water is exactly blue with just a little bit of purple, maybe. I mean, every it's just very like um, definitive, right? And his was yeah. like flowy. There's colors every. There's purple in the water. There's a bird up on that building. You know, like just totally, yeah. just totally <laughs> creative. And it's so hilarious because when you, when you put them next to each other, we're like we are so it's very obvious who we are in the business like it was just super right. obvious i'm the operations yep. systems person he sounds like me <laughs> yep <laughs> <laughs> so anyway um well, yeah I, I, I honestly i i really couldn't it's so weird i really do think i'm like what if we weren't doing this and we like had separate jobs like what would our life look like you know and um, I, I really don't know, you know, cause this like allows us to travel together, you know, for trade shows or, you know, sales trips and, um, it's, it's really, yeah, I, I, I don't, I couldn't imagine it any other way. So yeah. we're, we're having a good time. We have fun. That's, that's the most important part. That's the key. That's the key. I want to conclude mm-hmm. this by asking, what is your vision? Where do you see this going? Yeah. Um, that's great. I mean, I feel like that's also changing often, but we, we really want to be a national brand. You know, we really want everyone to know who we are because we are so passionate about the food that we're providing. You know, we really want everyone to kind of know our brand and know that we are a, a company that you can trust, you know? And um, so I think, you know, however it's going to, whatever it's going to take to get there, that's what we want to do. So mm-hmm. um, that's definitely always in our minds. So do you do you have any plans of going into like different product types or um, anything like that? Or are you staying? I know you have. Well, I know you have a handful of of different product lines on your website, but I mean they're very. Your macaroons are really the biggest biggest ones. You got a lot of you know really cool like different types of macaroons and um, some cereals on there. But like, do you have any yeah. uh, any uh, other goals of like wanting to go out way far so you have like an entire product line of stuff? I mean, yes. I, I would, we have so many products in our brains that we really want to create. Um, but you know, it's, it's very challenging, um, as a smaller company to have the resources to go into something that's say like refrigerated or, right. um, you know, lives in a different part of the store. So, um, yes, the answer is yes. And we have so many fun plans, but we're just going to have to wait until we have the resources available to do that, you know? So it might take us a little while, but but we'll get there. So. Well, you guys are on a really we, we good track. Fair. Yeah. I mean, you're on a really, really good track. You're doing a lot of really good stuff. I'm a huge fan, obviously, of the entire, you know, raw food and vegan industry. And I just, I love what you guys are creating. And like I said, I was, you know, drooling over the chocolate chip mint things on your on your website. <laughs> I'm going to go grab some right now. <laughs> so um, thank you. Thank you. We really, like, we're, we really just feel so grateful every day for, you know, everyone that's sort of touching our business in whatever way they are, you know, whether they're buying stuff or working for us or selling us ingredients, you know, it's it's really incredible to create the sort of community around us. I love it. Well, thank you so much for being here, girl. Thank you so much for sharing your story and for, for really revealing, you know, how you have done this um, up until now and, and best of luck for the future. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. biggest takeaway for me in that conversation is how they run their sales and her 
admitting that it's this like ever evolving thing that they're trying to kind of put their arms around, right? But that's kind of the way it is in business. Um, I love that she has a dream list. Do you have a dream list? Um, I literally was just talking about this this morning uh, at a meeting. And so it's so ironic that she brought it up. But who are your ideal customers? I call them the big whales. Like who who create that list of who the big whales are for you. So um, really, really love that she brought that up. Hope you got a lot out of it and I will see you on the next episode.